Well, good evening. It's great to worship together. I love um, our, our hope and our prayer, especially if you're new, that uh, that reckless love of God that we sing about would kind of invade your life a little bit. And so if you are new, I know it takes courage coming to a new place. So welcome. Glad that you're here. And I want to personally invite you again to the 10-minute party afterwards. We'd love to connect with you and kind of help. And so as we move into this um, message tonight. Uh, We've been in this series called Disciple, kind of looking at this idea of what does it mean when Jesus discipled the disciples? Like, how did he do that? And and what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be that? And we'll kind of unpack that in a second, but I want you to think of the toughest thing you've ever done. Now, for some of you, uh, that may be like a Tough mutter. Anyone ever done one of those or like the Spartan races or a marathon even and all that kind of stuff? Anyone ever done that? few, uh, Brian, you've done a few, like you should raise your hand higher than that, uh, because like I've never even crossed my mind to run a marathon. Like some people like a marathon, I'm like, yeah, uh, maybe in heaven, uh, I'll do that. But so like if you've done that, that's tough. Maybe you uh, grew up playing sports and just you remember one particular practice that your coach just kind of railed into you and you had to work really, really hard. Maybe you went through a very difficult season of life and you had to go through and just kind of recover from that. And there's some things that anyone ever had, like knee surgery or something like that, you have had to go through just recovery uh, and the whole rehab process and how tough that is. Maybe uh, you had to process some things that occurred in life and, and just the challenge of going through counseling and trying to work through that. It's just really tough. And so whether it's physical toughness or emotional toughness in that, we've all kind of been on the ground level of just having to wade ourselves through some tough seasons or some tough moments in life. And I want you to kind of keep that in mind, this idea of toughness, because I think the subject matter that we're going to talk about tonight, that Jesus and Peter have this conversation, I think lends itself to this idea of this is really tough. In fact, what we're going to talk about in this whole idea of forgiveness is just tough. It's not easy. It's not something that uh, you can just go, oh, yeah, pff, I got that. That's, that's easy. You know, everyone can do that. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew 18. Or if you have the app, you can kind of open up the sermon notes. You can follow along right there in that. And as you turn there, um, again, this whole series has been about this notion of what does it mean to be a disciple. So if you've missed any of those weeks, you can pick back up and uh, along in the app and, and go back and refer to some of those things. We kind of tried to lay out through the Gospel of Matthew, here's some things that mark the life of a disciple that you're gonna have this increasing awe in worship. You're gonna be a person that lives with some certain notions of how to go about, and we kinda highlighted one per week, and today I wanna talk about this idea of the flow of forgiveness, or a forgiving faith. What does it mean to have a forgiving faith, and how do we go about doing that? And it's tough, it's not easy. We kinda use this adage to say, uh, the old uh, Jewish rabbinical saying that said, may the dust of your rabbi always be upon you. That meaning, may the one that you follow be so close, that you are so close to them, that the kind of dust they kick up in life lands on you, that the way they would say things would be the way you say things. The way that you do things would be the way that, uh, the way they do it, it would be the, become the way that you do it. And so you just kind of begin to live life that way. And so we follow after Jesus to be a disciple, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're like still investigating Jesus and trying to figure out this whole faith thing, or whether you've been walking with him for a long time, this isn't about interning after Jesus, this is about apprenticing your life after him. 
that you become more and more like him. And so this conversation takes place at the end of Matthew 18. We looked at the first part last week. And this week, the very tail end of Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus. This is the apostle Peter, and he asks a question, and it's kind of interesting. I want to try to unpack a little bit of this, and then Jesus responds with a parable that we'll unpack a little bit. And I want you to see a story, a testimony tonight that kind of speaks to this idea of a forgiving faith. So verse 21, this is what it says, And Peter came to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often... Should I forgive someone who sins against me? And then two words. Seven times. And the reason I'm doing this face is because I think that's kind of what Peter did. I think this whole notion of forgiveness is so tough. In fact, there was a rabbinical teaching in the first century that said rabbis would teach, you forgave someone three times. And after that, you didn't have to. So think about Peter in this moment. Jesus, okay, you've been teaching about forgiveness. I think I got this. How many times should I forgive someone? Seven times. Do you see what I did there, Jesus? I I took the three, I doubled it, and then added one for good measure. I'm pretty good. I just think that's kind of the notion of how Peter approached Jesus in that moment. You know why? (laughs) I have a theory. It's because Peter is human. How many of you are human? Oh, so you have something in common with Peter. I think in our humanity, uh, we would never say this out loud, but each and every one of us do it. I think in our humanity, we like to keep score. Uh, We do it at work. Uh, We do it in relationships. We like to keep score. How many of you have ever kept score in any game you've ever played, right? Okay, well, beyond that, I think we take that that same adage over into relationships and how things work. Okay, you offended me, so now I have a scorecard on you. We would never say that. I mean, a couple times we have actually said that. But we we try not to say it, and we try not to let people see the scorecard but we're, we're keeping track. And I think what Peter's asking in this moment is the same question we ask. What's the edge, Jesus? What's the limit of forgiveness? Like, kind of the law of the land says you keep score. That's just how humanity works. And so Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times do we forgive? What's the edge? What's the limit? It's interesting, the Apostle Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of when it's been wronged. Ugh, that's tough. See, love doesn't keep score. But in my humanness, I like to keep score. See, bitterness, well, bitterness seems to keep a detailed ledger in a comprehensive journal, right? That's how bitterness works. That's how anger works. But in order to maybe fully understand and kind of get at this idea of forgiveness, uh, let me unpack a little bit of what forgiveness is not. Okay? Forgiveness is not saying what the person did to you is okay or all right. Because I know for some of you, you've had someone harm you in a way that is not right, period. It ain't right. 
There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It wasn't right. It shouldn't have happened. It should never happen again. And so it's not this idea of saying, okay, what happened to me is okay or all right. That's not what forgiveness is saying. Forgiveness is not giving permission for that person to continually do that or to do those things over and over. We can set up healthy and appropriate relational boundaries with people, with family, with friends. We can do that. It is possible to forgive an offense that would be impossible to forget. This idea of forgiveness that you don't have to necessarily forget something in order to forgive someone. Because forgiveness is about something different. It's deeper. It's choosing to let go of the offense and not carry it around anymore. It's choosing to say, okay, Jesus had to die for that. And that offense that hurt me or that hurt someone or I hurt someone. And Jesus had to die for that. And he had to die for the things that I've done wrong as well. That he had to pay for my brokenness. And he had to pay for that brokenness. And it's getting to the place where you're realizing, I'm going to let go of that offense. It's learning to take the people off the hook of your heart and let them be on the hook of God's heart. It's Romans 12, 19 that says this, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So much of our, our hurt comes from, and, and our scorekeeping comes from us wanting to take revenge. I want to get even because you dinged me. And so I want to set the scorecard right. And so we pursue this idea of not forgiving. See, the notion of forgiving others, what Jesus is going to get to here, is not a decision that, okay, we just choose to forgive when we feel like it. Forgiveness is to be this pattern this habit that Jesus wants to form in my heart and in your heart. And Jesus is going to drive home that the forgiveness is a path that we are to choose. It's the habit he wants to practice and form within us. And yes, it's tough at times. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. Forgiveness is challenging. So remember the question? Jesus, how many times? What's the edge? What's the limit? Seven times? Jesus replies, verse 22, no, not seven times, he replied. Seventy times seven. Uh, I anticipate Peter's response to be this. What? Like, Jesus, I I took the rabbinical teaching, I, I doubled it, and I added one, and you just said 490. I don't have a scorecard that big. Hey, something's fun happened at Sports Center. Um, so I don't know. I think that's what's happening in that moment is we just got an alert. Forgiveness is a big deal to God. Um, he's really emphasizing this. And I think in that moment, Peter's phone went off and he said, Look, that's a lot. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was just rolling with it. Um, 490 times, Jesus? Like, I don't have a scorecard that big. And I think that's the point. That's the point Jesus is trying to make. And so then he's going to go into the story, and he's going to tell a story. So we'll kind of quickly go through this story and, and try to understand. I think what Jesus is trying to say to Peter is, look, if you want to follow me, Peter, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to apprentice your life after me, 
you're going to have to put down the stones of revenge. You're going to have to drop the scorecard of bitterness. You must learn to travel light. That's what he's telling Peter. You can carry your grudges and you can follow your anger. Or you can carry your cross and follow me, but you can't do both. That's what he's driving to. And he tells a story to kind of drive that point home. So here's what he says in verse, uh, chapter 18. He goes on, he tells the story. He says, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. And he goes on, therefore, the kingdom of God, meaning the ways of God, how things are supposed to work in his, his neighborhood, how things happen. The kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, a servant, when he's referring to a servant, is not like a servant, like, hey, go fetch me uh, a Coke or go fetch me uh, my remote control, okay? That's not that kind of servant. A servant would be a manager, that this king has great uh, wealth and great territory that he's overseen. He's put servants in charge of those areas. And now he's calling everyone together to kind of settle the account with everything, kind of check in. How's it going? Here's what he says. I want to settle accounts with my servants. Verse 24, as he began to settle uh, accounts, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, stop right there. We don't understand. It's hard to take first century currency and to put it in the 21st century world, okay? But I need you to kind of get your mind around what Jesus literally just said. Some scholars believe that the number Jesus used in the first century times, people would have said, what? Like, it's so big. Some scholars would say it's bigger than the amount that the Israelites paid of taxes to the nation of Rome. Like, it's a huge number. So can we just all agree that $10 million is a lot of money? Right? We all with that? It would be like Jesus would say, look, uh, this guy's trying to settle accounts, and this guy embezzled $10 million. Can we just go, whoa? I need a little more whoa. It's $10 million. Okay, there you go. So, like, that's what would have happened when Jesus said this number in the first century. People would have been like, whoa, okay. This guy's settling accounts. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had would be sold to repay the debt because that's what happened in the first century world. You couldn't pay back what you owed. Well, then your wife and your children would be sold off into slavery. You'd be thrown in prison until you could pay it off. And by the way, they don't pay you in prison, so you're there. That's what's going to happen, okay? This guy falls down, the servant falls to his knees, and before him, he says, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. Wait a minute. Okay, you embezzle $10 million, and you're going to pay him back. Anyone think that's actually going to happen? No. That ain't going to physically happen. That's not reality. So he's in this moment, I got caught, and I'm in deep, deep doo-doo. And I, I will pay you back, which is ridiculous to even say. Be patient with me. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Now, first century hearers, the ones who said, whoa, would hear this and go, whoa, whoa. Because like, this guy owed you 10 million bucks, and you just forgave it. Double woe. Like, who does that? Like, no one can really do that. 
except what we're trying to understand is this is the kingdom of God. This is how God views things. And God's big enough, he's got a big enough bank account to handle all this, and he's trying to prove a point here. This is what God is like. You've got this insurmountable debt, and you're begging for mercy, and God's a God of mercy. And he says, I'll take care of it. Here's what you have to understand. Debts don't go away. Debts get transferred. That's what happens. The key to understanding this story is that debts never just disappear. Somebody has to pay for it. Somebody has to take that on. And here we have the CEO, the king, representing God himself, taking that on. I will take that debt, and I'll take care of it. You're free. Can you imagine the feeling that you would have had if you were that servant? And the king, the CEO, is saying to you, you owe 10 million bucks, pay up. There's no way I can pay that. All right, I'll tell you what. I'll take it. You're free to go. Can you imagine? He probably never even touched the ground on the way out of the meeting, right? So he floats out of the meeting, this unbelievable reality of what he's anticipating. Here's what you understand. Forgiveness is never free, but it is always freeing. Forgiveness is never free, but it's always freeing. And so he leaves this, and he's leaving with a great deal of freedom. But there's a comma here. The story goes on. But when the servant went out, he found one of his own fellow servants, so another manager of his, it was someone underneath him, who owed him a hundred silver coins. So, 10 million bucks, a hundred bucks, okay? Let's keep it simple. So he stumbles upon a servant of his that owes him a hundred bucks. Verse 28, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, sound familiar? And begged, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Have we heard this before? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what was happening, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. So here's the story Jesus is telling a dude owed 10 million bucks. He's called into account, he begs for his life, he's forgiven. He leaves that meeting with a sense of freedom, finds someone else who owes him a hundred bucks, chokes him, throws him into prison because he won't pay, and other people see what's happening. And they report it back to the master. The story finishes up here. Then the master called that servant back in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all of what he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Triple woe. Now, it's important to understand a little theological reality here. This parable is not about your salvation, okay? This parable is about forgiveness. That's the point. That was the question at the very beginning. And so this isn't, we can't take this notion of what uh, Jesus is telling this story, that, okay, God's gonna throw you in hell if you don't forgive one person that you forgot to forgive. That's not what Jesus is trying to drive home here. Okay, this idea that forgiveness is to be a foundation of our life. 
How much gratitude do you have? That's the question that jumps out to me. This person has forgiven an immense debt. I tend to think this is true. You show me a person who's grateful, and I'll show you a person who has an easier time forgiving. You show me someone who is ungrateful, and I'll show you a person who maybe struggles to forgive. And so maybe check the gratitude attitude of your own heart and of your own life. This parable is about dealing with forgiveness between people, not between a lost sinner and God himself. The emphasis is on person-to-person forgiveness and how are we to grow a forgiving heart. The Bible is very clear when it comes to this idea of salvation. Salvation is wholly all about God's grace and his unconditional uh, grace that's given to us. To make God's forgiveness a temporary thing is to violate the very truth of Scripture. Romans 5, 8, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Titus 3. And so this isn't about salvation. But the importance here of what Jesus is saying, especially in that last verse, because as a Christian, maybe you read that last verse and go, that's heavy. Yeah, because this is tough. And it's meant to be heavy. And Jesus talked about it, remember, in the Lord's Prayer? Help us forgive or forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he has one little phrase after that. He says, well, you better do it. It's not about salvation. This is about practice and habit. You're to build this into your life. Here's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, don't keep score. Don't let the roots of bitterness grow in your heart. Don't carry your grudges around. Learn to travel light. Don't just simply follow the law of the land and the human heart. I want to grow something different in you. I want to grow a heart of love and mercy and compassion. Let forgiveness flow in and through your life. I want you to remember that you always live in this shadow of great forgiveness that was forgiven of you. And I want to change and transform your heart that you would be a person that flows with forgiveness to others in the relationships that you have. Jesus, what's the limit? Peter, you're asking the wrong question. You're missing the point. It's not about keeping score, Peter. Drop the scorecard. You've got to learn to let forgiveness flow because you live as a forgiven one. And so now you can be one who forgives. Remember the Apostle Paul, Colossians 3? Make allowances for each other's faults. Anyone have faults here? I'll raise two hands. That's all of us. Make allowances for each other's faults. Uh, each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must what? Forgive others. When you feel like it, is that there? No. When the scorecard's even, is that there? No. Forgiveness is something we are immersed in because of Jesus, and God wants to flow into us all the time, pouring forgiveness into us so we can flow through us to others. Forgiveness is the path we must choose, even when it's tough, and it is. 
It's not easy. Growing in forgiveness is part of growing and maturing from a spiritual baby to a spiritual mother and father. It's part of growing up. And it's not easy. And sometimes it's really challenging and sometimes it takes a while. But part of growing in maturity as a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, it's just, maybe the question very simply we've asked a couple times in this series, are you more forgiving this year than you were two years ago? Is it more readily available, does it more readily surface in your life to go, you know what, I'm gonna choose to forgive? We may still talk and have conversation and work out boundaries and, and that's okay, but I'm gonna choose to forgive. I'm gonna take them off the hook of my heart and I'm gonna let them be on God's hook if there needs to be anything because that's not my responsibility. It's above my pay grade because I'm human and I'm broken just like everybody next to me. And so it's learning to deal with this. Lewis Mead writes this, when I genuinely forgive, I set a prisoner free and then discovered that the prisoner I set free was me. Forgiveness is about your freedom. It's about choosing to live a life. And so what I want you to see next is a story from a friend of ours, um, Sheila, who shares her story of this path of forgiveness. I want to highlight a couple of things because it'll fill in some of the gaps. It's a longer story. We cut it uh, in like from 20 minutes to eight. So, but it's so powerful. And I want you to see it. And I want you to hear it. And I want God to use it to stir your heart because there's, there's an accident that happens. And she loses her mom and her stepdad. Some years go by and she ends up meeting in prison the person who was responsible meets with them, is just pulled in a direction of forgiveness, doesn't even know why. But I'll tell you why. Because years down the line, she would wind up here on a New Year's Eve, and she would show up in that seat on Easter Sunday, and she would give her life to Christ this year. Because God was at work behind the scenes in her life, and she didn't even know it but she knew forgiveness was the key for her. And so this is Sheila's story. So for me, forgiveness has always been something that's been really challenging, um, mostly because uh, I'm known to be a grudge holder. And so um, in 2001, my mom and stepdad were killed in a car accident as a result of a high-speed police chase. Um, and that was someone else running from police um, that hit their car and killed them both um, on impact. Our lives forever were going to be connected through this tragedy, and there was no way I could walk away from it um, angry and bitter and um, never have an opportunity to actually talk to her about what had happened because whether I liked it or not, our lives were always going to be connected. Um, and so I knew that there was more work I needed to do there. I just wasn't quite sure what that was going to look like. It all was very weird. Um, and I'm sure the people in the room thought it was weird as well. Um, but it's what felt right to me to do. Uh, we ended up spending close to eight hours that day um, talking. And I learned a lot about her and who she was. And she learned a lot about my mom and stepdad, uh, who they were, um, how it impacted everybody. Um, there was never any arguing or fighting or yelling at each other in this. Um, I shared with her my hope that, 
this experience would allow her to become a better person that um, for me, nothing can be taken back. We couldn't go back in time. We can't change anything at this point. And really for me, the, the most important piece of it was that I wanted to see her become a better person. And if there's anything positive that could come out of something so horrific, um, it was really up to her and whether she could make changes and become a better person when she came out of prison. I'll never forget what happened, but that I did, did forgive her for it. And um, for me, I think that that was, it lifted a huge weight off my shoulders um, that I didn't necessarily realize was there, but it was definitely pulling at me all along. And I really think that that was what, um, from very early on, when I just kept wondering more about trying to understand who she was and what her story was, um, it was that part of me that was like, you need to forgive her um, and just not sure how to do it. It took me some time to try and figure that out. Um, it was very releasing to do that. And um, I don't regret it for a minute, ever. I really think that this journey of forgiveness has really shaped me into the person that I am today. Um, being a grudge holder in what I'm gonna call my previous life, um, and being able to move into this life, um, knowing that it's possible to forgive people and how powerful that is. And what a significant impact that can have for myself, but also on her. Um, and in sharing the story of forgiveness, the impact it can have on other people. I think that when we lose a loved one in something this horrific, it's really easy to justify being angry and bitter. And most of the time, not as easy to justify forgiving someone for something like that. And I know that for me, and I think I can speak for her, the, the woman as well, I think that this has been life-changing for both of us. And it's allowed me to become a better person. It's lifted a lot of weight off my shoulders. It's allowed me to um, look at people differently when I have a conflict and how I address that conflict. And for her, it was what turned her life around. And from that moment forward where we met and she realized that I was forgiving her, um, she'll tell you that saved her life and changed her from that point forward. Have realized um, in this last year, um, I think there was something greater throughout this process and this process being from the very beginning um, when this happened. I think there was definitely something greater that was involved that I didn't wasn't really aware of. Um, and what I've realized is that I really think it shaped my life to where I'm at now, where I accepted um, Christ into my life. Um, I think he absolutely had a hand in all of this from the very beginning. Um, it took me a long time to realize that. Um, but as I look back now, um, I can definitely see that uh, and definitely see him working um, 
to get me in the direction that I that I headed. And I think that pull that I experienced very early on um, was him pulling, saying, "Don't be so quick to judge, and step back a minute and and look at it." And I I'm glad that I did that. And it definitely took me a long time to see it, um, but I can definitely see how he was working. Um, behind the scenes to keep me in line with who he knew I truly was. And the power of forgiveness can be so impactful in life um, and very freeing and lifts so much weight off of you that um, it's just, it's definitely a choice that, that all of us can make. We just don't always do it. What's made the path of forgiveness um, so important and so impactful is having the ability to be able to accept people for who they are, um, having the ability to show others through my own actions how important it is to be able to forgive people. And sometimes it takes a long time Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes you can't understand why you should forgive someone. Um, but something that I've learned very recently is that I've made a lot of mistakes in my own life. Um, and Jesus has accepted me regardless of those mistakes. And why would I not do the same for somebody else? And so for me, making sure that I'm going to walk the walk, I need to talk the talk. And um, if I'm going to live a life of um, accepting people and forgiving them and expecting others to do the same for me, then I need to make sure that I'm, I'm living that same life. As I walk through my life with Jesus, is it's not just about forgiving someone once or forgiving someone twice or three times or four times. Um, or forgiving somebody for one thing and saying that was a huge thing I forgave them for, I'm never doing that again. Um, it's about continuing to look at forgiving people and understanding that um, it's not just one time and that's all they're afforded. Um, and I know that I've made a lot of mistakes and I've been forgiven for them. And so as I continue my journey, um, walking through life with Christ, I need to continue to forgive people along the way um, in my path as well. And we talk a lot about being a disciple of Christ, and I really see this as an opportunity to be a disciple um, because this is what he would have done. And so I see that as my role in following along beside him. It's a powerful story. Scriptures declare that forgiveness is the only remedy for bitterness. It's about dropping the scorecard. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, bear with each other, forgive one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Here's the takeaway. Forgiven people forgive people.
forgiven people. Forgive people. Jesus, what's the limit? Is it seven times? Peter, forgiven people. Forgive people. Put the scorecard down. How do you get forgiveness? How do you deal with that? Well, it starts with getting forgiven. And so that's getting right with God. And wherever you are in your spiritual journey, if you've never made that decision, maybe tonight's your night to make that decision to say, I want to live in the forgiveness of, of Jesus. So it starts there. How do you continue to foster forgiveness? Well, that, that's tough. It's not always easy. I think the simple way is just to continually come back because I think the roots of forgiveness grow best at the foot of the cross. When we come back to realize how much we've been forgiven. And I can be fueled up by remembering that and then that fuels me to kind of pass that along. It's not always easy. Sometimes it takes time. But it's coming back. So here's the thoughts for this week. Who do you need to give forgiveness to this week? Who do you need to seek forgiveness from? What would it look like to take a first step in that? And how can forgiveness flow more quickly in your life? And so as we transition to a time of communion, we'll sing a song or so here. Uh, This is about remembering. It's coming back to the foot of the cross and remembering that it was Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection that paved a way for us by faith to be forgiven. And as a forgiven people, we can now forgive people. And, And it's tough. It's not always easy. But that's the path that Jesus wants to lead us as we apprentice our life after him, trying to become more and more like him. So Father, as we take communion here, as we remember uh, your life and your death and your resurrection, Jesus, that, that made a way for us to have life with God forever. We've been forgiven so much. Would you help us to continually go back and to tap into that because it's in the roots of, of putting our heart there that I think draws the nourishment <laughs> that we can choose then to have the gumption to forgive people as we go through life because it's just gonna happen. And we can choose to keep the scorecard if we want, but that's not the life you call us to. And so as we take this bread and this juice, we remember the forgiveness of our own sins. Jesus, thank you. As we sing this song, may it grow a gratitude within our hearts May you fuel us that as a forgiven people, we would forgive people.